Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Patreon Deck Tech. Yeah, so for those who don't know, we have a Patreon. It's on patreon.com. And so basically once every new set release, we do a deck tech episode where we take brews submitted by our Patreon patrons. And uh, this year, this is this is the Fate Reforged. And not Fate Reforged. That's nope. just wrong. <laughs> Aether Revolt. This is the Aether Revolt uh, episode. So basically the idea is we want cards that were from the most recent set and see decks that they may have either added to or changed or completely created a new um, and we'll, we're going to talk about today. We have also the wonderful Corey Burkhart on on the on the internet talking to us. Hey everybody, how it goes? Good. Probably not as sweet as you because you know we're not like we're not like posting Facebook posts about playing poorly and and playing poorly meaning you go twelve three at Grand Prix. But uh, you know, yeah, it's I cool. Mean, I could have played better. I wish I had played better. <laughs> I love like somebody posted. They were like, "I wish my." They were like, "I wish my playing poorly posts were going 12-3. Thanks, Corey. <laughs> yeah, I had a few friends shoot me messages like that, and it was just like, "Yeah, there were definitely some sweet rounds where my opponent would bluff me, and then I'd like bluff them back." And then I got one guy to almost drop his hand face up on the table. He was just like flabbergasted that I made a play that I did. And that that run was probably like the highlight of my weekend by a large margin. But there were a couple of rounds where it was just like, oh man, you could tell I was rusty and did not practice enough for this tournament. But you did take Grixis. Oh, of course. I'm, my teammates played Death Shadow, but they couldn't convince me. The yeah. Facebook post that went up on our team forum was, everyone on the team should play this deck unless your name is Corey Burkhart. <laughs> <laughs> and you like still almost top eight. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was a sweet tournament, and I've definitely run it back every single weekend if, you know, the magic gods would let us. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, look, it's we, we always talk about that, how like, um, it's great, like in sports, how like you know somebody has like a strategy they just do every single time, like you know Serena or something like that. She has like her serve, or, like in Magic, I, I don't mind like a player just getting really familiar with one deck and always playing that deck because it's like you go to see Corey play Grixis, like that's what you play. And you know, I don't need I don't need my my pro players to switch their decks up every tournament. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first let's let's do some magic news. I guess this is part of the magic news. Uh, we had we had the first modern GP since bannings and uh, um, the new set. And the main thing we learned is that Death Shadow is not dead, but now it's now it's Death Shadow Jun versus Death Shadow Zoo. Yeah, it's like a it's like a sort of somewhere in between the two decks. Most notably, like, not playing copies of Become Immense and playing a single copy of Team or Battle Rage. If, if anybody's wondering what we mean when we say it's, like, more of Jundi, like, that's what it is. It's not all in at all. Corey, can you talk to us a little bit about the deck? Yeah, so it's it's almost like a legacy deck at this point. I mean, we're playing between 16 and 19 lands in most of these versions. Curve stops at 3. There's a sideboard card of Ranger of Eos that cost 4. But realistically, you're a deck that functions on very low mana counts, high high amounts of interaction. We're talking eight discard spells, you know, eight to ten removal spells, all that cost one mana. And then the curve stops at like Liliana of the Veil, and that's sort of your way to mitigate Flood, is by just, you know, I'm just going to discard all my extra lands like a normal Jun deck does. But rather than playing out like the combo version used to, with Gitaxian Probe, filling up your graveyard for Delve with Become Immense and Team or Battle Rage, 
it's sort of just like, no, I'm hyper-efficient. I'm going to get to cast two, three spells per turn when you're casting, you know, your one sweet three mana card. And because my cards are just as powerful as yours, and lo and behold, sometimes more powerful when you're playing one mana eight eights, I'm just going to kill you on turn three, turn four. And that was a lot of what we saw from Team Channel Ball Fire and Team Mutiny this weekend. Yeah, it's it's definitely a pretty interesting take. There's also a single copy of Renegade Rallyer in most of the lists I've seen. Um, that seems to be a card that's starting to break through a little bit. Yeah, when I got there Saturday morning, every dealer that I went to was sold out at ten U.S. dollars for a Renegade Rallyer. Wow, for an like, uncommon from a new set. Yes, it was going for more than Fatal Push, and every dealer was sold out. That's crazy to me, but people are playing one. I guess it. I guess it showed no, up no, in. No, no, yeah. So it in the Abzan deck too. Abzan Company was playing it. Was Van? No, Van Eldrazi wasn't playing it. Yeah, there, there's just a ton of people Abzan here. Yeah, there's a bunch of Abzan playing it in all these things. Yeah, I mean, right. if you could give Bant Eldrazi a two-mana Eldrazi creature that was like actively very good going into their strategy, I guarantee you they'd play Renegade Rallyer also. I mean, they're already playing Eldrazi Sky Spawner. Um, they have fetch lands. I mean, they have ways to trigger revolt. They would definitely be in the market for something like that. Well, Rallyer is a really interesting card in when you're talking about how it's it's a deck that plays a very, very low curve and plays so few lands. It's like a really clever card that allows you to take advantage of Mishra's Bobbles and fetch lands to keep that curve super low Yep. and make sure you, you know, it's like, and but so the question I had is you mentioned Liliana stops you from flooding. The two copies of Liliana, how did you guys get to that number? What's like, that's, that's so interesting to me. Like, you rarely see that card as a two-of in a deck. So, I think that was mostly a copyover from the original deck list that had three, and then they were like, we just want to be lower to the ground, and actually went down to two. Uh, but there were also some fragmentations across the team where it was like, some players played Liliana the Last Hope. Like, Sam Black, I believe, played zero Liliana the Veil and played Liliana the Last Hope, as he was much more willing to play these grindy games and was much more concerned with stuff like his Jund matchup, where they would have... Fatal Pushes and Abrupt Decays and Liliana the Veils and Discard and Maelstrom Pulse and just a bunch of ways to interact where he wanted another way to go longer, whereas the guys playing Liliana the Veils were just like, no, you know, we've put a tax on you on my board states better than yours because I've got bigger creatures. I'm now going to put the best Planeswalker I can on the battlefield, where they were just kind of like playing, you know, Modern's Greatest Hits, if you will. I think it's so interesting so if you look at this list, right, and you, you take out the super, super explosive all-in aspect, it does become just this, like, extremely low CMC mid-range deck. Um, but if you think about that, what it ends up saying to us is that the card Death's Shadow was always viable as a really good threat in Modern. It didn't take this all-in deck to prove that. It's just, like, people realize that, well, actually, my life total being super, super low is not as much of a disadvantage as people originally thought, so now we're willing to actually mess around with Death Shadow in a little bit more of a traditional deck. Correct. When we went out for dinner on Saturday night, uh, Jerry was making a claim of, this has just always been the best deck in Modern. We were just not smart enough to find it until now. And he was saying that it's possible we just have the wrong fourth color in the deck, and instead of playing red, we're supposed to just be playing blue for Thought Scour and Snapcaster Mage. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so that was definitely the big hit breakout deck of the weekend. As far as magic news goes, I would say that that deck is the big news. Well, no, I mean, Dredge put two... Like, the banning seemed to just kill Infect. <laughs> uh, I don't I mean, know about that. I, I played against an Infect player... At 11-3, and three, playing for uh, top 32 in the last round of the Grand Prix. And, I mean, he literally had me dead on turn three if he went for it. And I was 
very blessed he didn't. Yeah, um, I mean, the one thing that's interesting about it is that Infect was a tier one deck before Become Immense was a card. So the format may be a little bit more hostile with more removal, but I can't imagine it being that much worse, even going back to the Rancor game plan. Agree. If anything, I think it falls down to like a tier 1.5 deck. I mean, if you still want to kill people on turn three, Infect gives you that capability. And it's another deck that plays out similarly to a legacy deck where it's just like, I'm going to have, you know, 20 to 24 one mana CMC cards. And I'm just going to try to play more spells than you do during the course of the game. And that's, I mean, if you want to win in modern, that is a very efficient way to do it. Very I mean, look, strategy. the banning of the, the, the banning of Gataxian probe and the printing of fatal push in the span of like a few weeks is not good news for infect. Let's just be honest. Like if you're in a larger sample size, it can adapt, but like, that's bad. That makes the deck that makes the deck not as good. Yeah, but then it just needs to play Renegade Rallyers to get back its effect creatures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, crack my fetch land, get Temple Guardian, Renegade Rallyer, put Blighted Agent to play. You're up. I thought it just like, oh god. <laughs> so what do the dredge decks look like right now? Uh, post banning, like... they're just playing Quad uh, Life of the Loam and Quad or three Golgari Thug. Uh, so it's just like. It's the same deck. It's just slower. it's slightly slower, but probably a little bit, yeah, just slightly slower. But Life in the Loam is super, super good. So going that's a slightly thing. slower, I've seen most of the list move up to two or three conflagrate in their main deck, and most will play one. I want to call it Scavenging Scourge. Is the uh, da, 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 unearth creature that gives plus one, plus one plus zero, or plus one plus one to your entire team when it enters the battlefield? Oh, uh, yeah, the, one, the one that won, the one that won is l- literally the exact same list, but it's playing that that they used to be, but it's playing three thug, four life and loam, and three conflagrate instead of the five or the four Golgari trolls. Gotcha. Still playing haunted deads. The sideboard's exactly the same. It's like like it's kind of what everyone kind of expected, where it's just like, oh, this deck is just going to be slightly slower and less explosive, but pretty much not change. I mean, least Utan's list, if it loads. <laughs> which it's not it keeps bringing me back to the wrong page okay whatever um so yeah i think i think it's just it's pretty much the same the fact that lantern control one I, I do want to point out that like affinity and lantern control both had a pretty good finish and kind of back to our conversation last time you were on the podcast Corey. i do think that there's a serious chance that mox opal is on a chopping list it's interesting because everyone's like oh we have the bad cards from death shadow zoo or whatever but i like affinity winning a gp Plus, affin- not affinity winning, affinity top eighting GPs alongside that Lantern. deck doing as well as doing Lantern winning the GP is like a pretty decent sign that it's not going to be the longest lasting card in the format. Yeah, the cards that play prison styles are always the cards on at least the chopping block for me, where if the best strategies are don't allow your opponent to play magic. So Chalice the Void, Blood Moon, Choke, uh, Boil, Ensnaring Bridge. Like, these are the best things to be doing. I think these cards are likely to get banned. Um, if it's not, you know, the actual heinous gameplay card itself, which doesn't allow your opponent to play magic, it'll be the enabler, which is usually the issue. And, I mean, Mox Opal's been on my list for a while. Of it's why does this card sort of get a pass when... You had cards like Summer Bloom, uh, Seething Song, Rite of Flame. Like, so these are over the line, but Mox Opal's okay. And it's this weird distinction in my mind to make where it's like, also Simeon Spirit Guide is in that list, where it's like, that guy's okay, but these other things aren't. 
Well, they all, I mean, every one of them is just shaving a turn off the clock of, you know, viability. Every Correct. single one of them. It's just the only difference is that while, you know, Summer Bloom has to have this certain concoction of cards in your hand to play, like Mox Opal just has to have a certain number of cards on the battlefield to be relevant. It's not really different. It's, it's, so I can see where it's the same thing there. I, I also think if we get it, like, it didn't do well in these two GPs, partly because it was the main known quantity that everyone is expecting to be around, so they had game plans for it. But if the Cheerios decks plus Lantern continue to perform as well as they're doing plus Affinity, like, that's three decks that are all just, like, hyper-efficient because Mox Opal is in their deck. And if if Cheerios wins a GP, I think it, it's done for Mox Opal. I don't uh, know if it has the power to do it, but... The only other thing I would add to that is we get Modern Master spoilers, I believe, starting in a few weeks. And no, to, to Monday. Monday? Jeez. It's Monday, yeah. We got, we got ours coming next week. Oh, yeah, we time, have a spoiler card on Monday flies. and Tuesday, everyone. Pay attention. <laughs> but, I mean, if we see a Mox Opal on that set, do you really think they can ban Mox Opal? They banned Splinter Twin three months after – or within a year of the, the Splinter Twin, and they banned Ivan Ugin within a year of it being printed in Modern Masters 2. All right, I'm making crap up. They can do whatever they want. If they want to print Simeon Spirit Guide as a Mythic Rare, I'm going to sell every one that I open and just pray that the Red Lotus Petal gets banned. And talk to me about the people that opened up that Ayavugan uh, Expedition. Like That's the one. That's the real one where you're like, oh my goodness, the most exciting thing that happened to me in my entire experience playing that whole set is no longer a legal card. Oh, I feel for those people. That's That's got to be horrendous. It's still playable in Legacy and... yeah. Vintage and uh, Commander. <laughs> yeah, sweet, sweet. It's form. probably good in Commander. <laughs> they're, they're, fair. Yeah, you get the tutor for stuff. Um, All right. <laughs> so that's the main news. Uh, yeah, as Alex just mentioned just now, we have a spoiler. We're going to be premiering on Tuesday, so that's super exciting. Um, we know things. It's cool. Uh, uh, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give everyone a a big a big reveal. It's a card that exists already. Because this is it. a reprint set. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like Wizards could completely drop a bomb, and we don't know it on Monday being like, and we're adding brand new cards to this set. Yeah. Get ready. They're like, all of the commanders are now legal in modern. <laughs> Force of Will is now a modern card. Go. God. I hope they make containment price legal. That'd be sweet. I do think, I do think, since this is kind of the new section, we can talk about this here. Uh, it's definitely possible that. Jace is in this set, and then they unban it immediately during the unban announcement. You think that's a thing? I don't know if it's a thing, but Aaron Forsyth gave like a really cryptic tweet last week or this week, being like, "We're we're noticed all the people wanting Jace to be unbanned. What's everyone think about that?" I mean, Corey responded to it, and he was like, "It's a yeah. bad, idea. <laughs> yeah, it's a horrible idea. That's 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 like maybe one of the worst. I mean, granted, granted, like." Um, us talking about the power of basically everybody realizing, like, eh, instead of playing some mixture of one and two mana CMC spells, we should just load our tech up with interactive one CMC spells, because that's more powerful. Uh, I guess it's a way to combat that. Then again, the one CMC spell deck just starts playing Jace, and then you get in real trouble. <laughs> like, that's what happens. Well, does that... I mean, like, we were talking about how Liliana is the best Planeswalker that Jesse Aozu can play. Would it, I feel like it would just play blue now, like you were saying, for Jace. <laughs> yeah, any opportunity to play that card just happens. That's the thing. Yeah, I don't I don't think the deck would go all the way up to Jace. I think the more likely places you'll see Jace is Jeskai becomes a Tier 1 deck, Esper becomes uh, very good. I think there's some Disrupting Shoal deck where you're, you know, I mean, Disrupting Shoal just plays as a force of will in a lot of spots where you have a 0 in Ancestral, you have a 1 in... 
excuse me, Serum Visions, Thought Scour. You have twos in the form of like Counter Squall and Snapcaster Mage. You have threes in like Vendillion Click, Geist of Saint Traft. Uh, and then obviously you have your fours in Jace, and it's like, well, I've got a Force of Will package that I can just pitch cards to, and it's like, well, I don't care about getting two for one or three for one or whatever I need to do to get the job done because I have Ancestral to three for one them back, and Jace that turns into an Infinity for one. I mean, if people are just playing one mana spells, like, yeah, you're going to kill people pretty often, but when you get disrupted, you're just going to get going over, you're going to have someone go over the top of you with a much more powerful spell, and Jace is probably the most miserable spell to be defeated by. I did not play much when Jace was standard legal. That was just when I was getting into magic. But I can tell you a number of times I had a Jace alt on me, and it was not fun sitting there with my little landfall deck going, God, I can't wait to just get decked out right now and just have four lands left in my library. This is really fun. The pl- the Faith Seal ability is is one of yeah the most miserable things to ever play against in magic. To put the fact that the Faith Seal ability is on something that powerful already is like that's the criminal part. Because it's just like you said, it makes it so miserable to lose to. As soon as you get locked out like you're getting to plus two to make magic less fun for me this is the worst all right i'm gonna i'm gonna play devil's advocate but mostly because i think there's a devil's advocate to say you i mean the fact that jess guy becomes a tier one deck and be, the fact that esper becomes a good deck and the fact that grixis gets better like there's a lot of people that want that for the format like right now we don't have any decks that are really and that's not true because obviously grixis does very well and 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 jund does well and all these decks that are definitely uh interactive do well in modern but the classic blue control decks haven't really had a good full footing does jace help that happen but does jace just dominate and destroy every other deck uh i'm gonna just jump in and say i I played legacy for about two years a lot of it and one thing i found was that the power level of the cards and the level of interaction was so high that when somebody did stick a jace and say like a miracles deck if you didn't have a way to just like pull ahead and end the game, it just felt unwinnable. Like the, the card is so good and it's backed up by such good things. It's not really very fun. Like I, I have to say that's, I know that's sort of weird to say. It's not like, it's not like one card determines the format or something like that, but it's just such a good card that if you don't have a way to pull ahead and get it off the table, it's just it feels like they're playing a different game of magic if you don't have your own. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? But we we, we live in a world now where there is planeswalker removal. Like the heroes downfall exists, dreadbore exists. It, they could print more of it. It's, I mean, like we like when Jace was a big thing in standard. One of the biggest problems was they like O ring rotated out of the format. All these cards that would help you answer Bloodbraid Elf rotated out of the format. All these cards that would help you answer answer Jace, because Jace wasn't dominated in standard before uh, Alar Block rotated. It was a good card. It was definitely one of the good cards of the format, but it wasn't like Cobblade levels of dominant. Yeah, but what I'm trying to say is like you're talking about standard. The support cards in standard to make Jace dominant are different. It's not like they're better. Stoneforge Mystic was legal in that format. No, but not the interaction <laughs> cards. Like I'm like think. I mean, Corey. They had and, Condemn, and, Oust, and Path to Exile all legal in that same standard format for a while. And Ponder and and Preordain at different times. Like and Mana Leak at one point. Like that oh, that yeah. format had almost better answers than ours does now. <laughs> I guess they had Inquisition. I guess that was Inquisition was legal. Yeah, I guess it's true. Yeah, blue black like, control was a thing for a while. Yeah, like that format had like pretty much the major like and and when Jace had Path to Exile available to it, it wasn't a dominated deck. That's that's a, the a st- dom- dominant deck. You mean? Dominant, yeah. yeah. It wasn't a dominating deck. It yeah. it it was 
one of the decks, like Bant, Bant, you know, Bant, Mythic Bant was a deck. Uh, blue-white control decks were doing stuff, but that was one of my favorite standard formats. You had all these different, diver- a lot of diversity. I mean, I think you have to unban Bloodbraid off alongside it, maybe, uh, to but, give a way for fair decks to kind of fight against him. We're tangenting. Let's just give our, our final yay or nay sound off. Is unbanning Jace, the Mind Sculptor, a good idea? My vote is no. Alex? I'm scared. That's the only answer I have. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just for sake of us not being unanimous, say go for it. <laughs> Horrible idea. Let's continue to move on, uh, guys. We're gonna get into the deck tech portion of the show. If you want to follow along in the conversation, comment on things that you think are awesome or whatever. You can find us on Twitter at the MMCast. You can find me at Ben Bateman Media. You can find Kessler at S at Kess Wiley. And Corey, where can folks find you? I am at Corey underscore Burkhardt on Twitter. Cool. And uh, aside from that, you can find our sister podcast, The Command Zone, on Collected.Company. And these lists that we're going to be talking about have come directly from our Patreon. It's one of the levels of donation. If you donate $5 a month, we do these once a month where we take uh, Bruce submissions from only Patreon subscribers. And we break the lists down on air with the top you know, players in the world like Corey as the new plan. We're not just going to be rambling with our own ideas. Corey's even going to have his ideas now. So that's where this comes from. Uh, donate to patreon.com slash MMCast. Let's talk about decks. So so first I want to start with, because I think we're, we're, we've tangented a little longer than we expected. So we want to make sure we hit the exciting ones. I'm going to start with Bill Morgan uh, submitted a Saffron Oliver uh, Constrictor deck. Hardened Constrictor. This yeah, is like this sweet, is... by the way. Oh my god, it's it's full of so many sweet cards. Like the number of counters, I just, I mean, yeah. It's, Kessler, you want to start breaking it down? So for those who don't know, Winding Constrictor, and this is a new standard card that's pretty much one of the best cards in standard, if not the best. It's a two mana two three for black and green. If one or more counters will be placed on an artifact or creature you control, that many of those counters plus one are placed on that permanent instead. If you would get one or more counters, you get that many of those counters plus one instead. So. That plus hardened scales, which is if one or more plus one plus one counters will be placed on a creature you control, that many plus one plus one counters are placed on it instead. Uh, so they both they're the same card, um, and it uses Hangerback Walker, Walking Ballista, modular cards like Arcbound Worker and uh, Arcback Arcbound Ravager, Dark Confidant, Scavenging Ooze, um, and Draboka's Command to just go crazy with the counters. This deck seems awesome, partly just because Walking Ballista becomes this win condition that just is going to wreck your opponent. I do want to clarify one rules wrinkle before we start breaking down some cards and maybe some other potential cards that we could play in this deck and some things that we think are sweet. Uh, so it even came up at the Pro Tour. I was watching two players at, I believe it was 7-5, and five, maybe it was 8-4 and four on day two, and one of the players had two Winding Constrictors in play and then played a Walking Ballista with, it comes into play with three counters because it gets an additional from each Winding Constrictor. But then he used the four mana ability to try to put a counter on it. And the Jeskai opponent started scooping. And the guy's like, you're no, you're not dead. And the guy's like, no, you just get infinite counters. And he's like, the black green player's like, wait, I do? And then the Jeskai player's like, yeah, see, it goes plus one. And the other replaces it plus one. And then it replaces it plus one. And at that point, I just had to call a judge because I was just losing my mind. It's like, no, each of those, if you would get a counter, you get that many plus one. So in the event that you have a Winding Constrictor and Hardened Scales in play... You get plus two counters, so if you get one counter instead, you get three. It's just it's just straight uh, a summation. It's not like this event can be replaced by the other event infinitely many times. You get infinite counters. You don't think you're going infinite here. This is, you know, how do I build an 8-9, not how do I build an infinity infinity. 
Because the extra counters are part of the resolution of the trigger, right? They're not causing a new trigger. Is that what you're saying? Exactly, yes. Yeah, I think that, that makes sense. Yeah, I, but you're still getting a very, very large walking ballista to murder someone. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to say, yeah, this deck sucks. I'm saying you get a giant monster for like two to three mana. You don't get an infinity infinity. If you want an infinity infinity, I mean, we'll have to work on some other decks, but... Holy crap, uh, these creatures are huge. Yeah. I mean, I, I just want to live the dream of, like, playing Arcbound Ravager on turn two with Hardened Scales in play, and then playing Hangerback Walker at some point, and then sacking everything from Hangerback Walker with the Walking Ballista in play, and then putting those counters on Walking Ballista, and then burning my opponent out. So I got to watch this deck play out a little bit at the Grand Prix. It was at a table one or two down from me, where... The guy went turn one Harden Scales, turn two Constrictor, turn three Scales, Hanger Back Walker. So, you know, it's just casual 4-4 four, four, that when I dies makes four Thopters. On his next turn, he Dromokas commands it up to an 8-8. Eight, eight. He attacks for eight. And on his end step, he Fatal pushes his own Thopter, or Hanger Back Walker, and got eight Thopters. And his bunch just like, oh god. <laughs> I do, so, I guess, and it sounds like it, my question is why white? I mean, obviously, Dromoka's command is very powerful here, but it seems like it limits your mana base. Oh, I guess you want, you need to be playing Gavany Township is kind of the, the conceit. Right, so Gavany Township is one of the best fair cards you can play. I, I think Gavany Township is criminally underplayed. Like, Abzan Company is really the only deck that you usually see play it. Um, but it just does so much work. I can't believe that more of the Abzan decks don't play it with the four Lingering Souls they currently play. I mean, this deck has four Lingering Souls in its sideboard, but you have Hangerback Walker, it's making a ton, ton of tokens. You have these modular creatures that if you put tokens on the, or counters on them and then they die, you're like, shucks, I'll just make my other guy huge as well. So you're just getting this double duty uh, usage out of this land. It's probably one of the best lands in modern that still sees way too little play for how powerful it actually is. Right, and, and back in the Birthing Pod days and even Junk Rhino days, there was... A lot more Gavity Townships played, I feel like, and maybe because Rhino kind of lowered or raised the mana requirements, it saw a little bit less favor. But yeah, Lingering Souls and Gavity Township is one of the classic, most powerful things you can do. One of the other things going on when Rhino Abzan was more of a thing was it was more important to give Death Touch off of uh, Vault of the Archangel because Death Touch combos so well with Trample that you could just you know blow people out on double blocks. You go one damage to that thing, one damage to that thing, and then two to you. Um, so that, that was a little bit why Gavity Township fell out of favor for the Rhino decks, but gosh, good goodness gracious, that card's great. Yeah, we talked a lot of actually on last week's episode, which the theme of last week's episode was uh, three color combinations in modern, and we talked a lot about Gavity Township on that episode and just how kind of underrated of a card that actually is, um, how powerful and how important that card has been to modern's history, and sort of just it's like just still underrated it's still just like massively underrated but uh let's let's talk a little bit about the deck here and what makes it so interesting so the first thing i notice about this is anytime you come up with a wonky strategy that plays a, a essentially a do nothing card like hardened scales in modern it has to have a one into two curve in my opinion you have to be able to play your your useless card on turn one and then play something on turn two that makes your turn two play like a significantly above average play so in this case you get to play that and then follow it up with either Walking Ballista, Hangerback Walker, uh, Worker, Ravager, yeah, Ravager. Ravager. They're all 
they all become significantly better cards when you get to play them as two twos for two. Um, so I think that's where you start. But I mean, what what is your opinion about playing those one mana kind of like do nothing engine cards, like cards like Training Grounds or things like this, where you're like, okay, I want to try to base a strategy around hoping I have this. I mean. Amulet Bloom broke the format. <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean that's that's the the most powerful version of what we're talking about. But I'm curious with Corey, like you're you're somebody who thinks about weird deck designs. Like where do you start with something like that? So the one mana ones that are not searchable by some effect, I usually am a little skeptical of because you're only about forty percent to have it in your opening hand, just based on a hypergeometric distribution, uh, where you really need one of these cards to you know do your thing. The reason why Amulet Bloom sort of functions, it is that card like Ancient Stirring, someplace Sleight of Hand or Serum Visions to help them find it. So if we were just talking Hardened Scale was the only enabler for this deck, I'd be a little bit concerned about, well, you're really not going to get there that often. But once you get the redundancy from now Winding Constrictor, that's really why we see this deck exist. We're not seeing this deck exist because someone just realized, oh, I can put Hardened Scales together with all these plus one, plus one counter cards. It's, oh, Winding Constrictor is copies five through eight of hardened scales that also just has the added ability to kill your opponent in some number of the games uh so right. the redundancy is a big thing there yeah it's those those one into two plays like i think what you're saying there the eighth the eighth copy and the fact that or the the five through eight and the fact that wine and constrictor is so good anyway is what makes it good i mean we've talked before on here before like i've had the idea of playing jace's phantasm on turn one followed by glimpse the unthinkable on turn two so you can attack with a five five flyer on turn two or like if you, I guess it's harder to do without Opal, but the whole like and Soul Artifact, Dark Steel Citadel thing, you can get kind of ahead doing that. Um, those really aggressive plays have to be backed up by more redundancy, and and that is what you get there with a the Constrictor. Um, one card that I I notice is not in here that I think is interesting, and I'm not sure if it would work because I don't really see where the slot would be. But Metallic Mimic strikes me as a card that is pretty well designed for this deck. Um, the fact that it's a construct to go with the 12 copies of constructs you already have means you start to get into like that 16 copies uh, trigger thing. It puts the counters itself. It's another artifact creature that plays well with Ravager. Um, yeah, they're, I, all, they're all constructs. Well, no, it's beast, uh, the Ravager's a beast now. It's not a construct uh, anymore. Okay. Um, but, but I mean, well, but Walker, Ballista, and Worker are all constructs. So I, I can see like Dark Confidant here is your card advantage and scavenging ooze is a super super important meta card that gets counters i don't really know where you get metallic mimic in this deck but it does seem good like it does seem like it fits theme pretty well yeah it, it looks like your real flex salt slots are Dramokas command and fatal push and i don't know how much you want to lose those things yeah yeah i'm trying to figure out if there's any like other removal creature you can play like you're only playing 20 land and even with four Traverse, that's really only like playing 22-ish. Because Modern, again, you want to be low yeah. to the ground. It's hard to really justify playing like some 3 or 4-mana CMC creature that's going to be removal, like a Fiend Hunter or a Murderous Redcap. Um, yeah, I, can maybe I think it's see really it, difficult I, to cut the Dramokas commands, personally. I think you maybe put it on your side if you like have a matchup you're imagining where you need to be more aggressive than them, and it helps you kind of increase that aggressiveness. Yep. But, I, yeah, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not positive. I don't know what the cut really maybe traverse the Ulamvald, go up to 22 lands and put two of the guys you're talking about yeah i think the, i think cutting the dromoko's command though does make your deck worse dromoko's command is pretty powerful in the right situation yeah I, I wouldn't want to cut traverse just the idea of traversing for a hanger backwalker and playing it with five counters on it just seems so silly to me 
Also, the composition of this list is pretty cool. Like the fact that the fact that Dark Confidant can, has has eight copies of powerful creatures to flip for zero is really really good. Like that's that's like a rare thing you get to do here that most of the Dark Confidant decks don't get to do. It, it at most is going to cost you two life. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and even after sideboard, the most it can cost you is three with these anaphensas and lingering cells in this current list. I mean, the the person that put this deck together, you you can just tell by looking at it they fundamentally understand deck building very well like there's very few if any sort of anti-synergies going on where it's like oh this card's clearly fighting this or this card doesn't synergize with this very well it's like the weird oddball in the deck to me is the dark confident it's like why do we put dark confident in our deck it's like well we're a high synergy deck if we just have more cards than our opponent we can just do more synergies and more crazy things and just go off on our opponent even harder i know that's but see that's funny because that's the card that i looked at the list where i was like all right I get that every deck in modern wants card advantage. Like not every deck gets it, but like this, you you're looking at this deck. You're like, this does some really clever things. But what if you get blown out? What if you know they strip your hand of the most important card, and your hand is just really really weak? You want to have that dark confidence so you can get back ahead. But I do wonder, like, is something like a metallic mimic, and maybe that's not the card, but is there something else that is even more synergistic with the strategy that doesn't generate card advantage but just makes the deck better? Like I I, I do kind of wonder. Scavenging Ooze is such a good card in the format. It does so much and is so powerful. Do you not just want more Scavenging Oozes in the deck? Like, is that not just better? I think because you can tutor for it with Traverse, and it's much more of a late-game card in this deck. Like, we don't want a Scavenging Ooze on turn 3 when we're still on 2 lands. We want a Scavenging Ooze on turn 4, turn 5 when we're on 3 plus mana. Because you really want to be u- using it when you already have already have a Hardened Scales or when you already have a Winding Constrictor on the battlefield to be getting additional counters out of it each time. Uh, you're not going to get additional life, of course, but you're going to get, you know, a scavenging as it grows to a 4-4, then a 6-6, then an 8-8, and, you know, just turn into the giant monster that the rest of these constructs are turning into. Um, I, I think you could even go down to one scavenging as the main deck because of the traverses, but I would worry that, obviously, the scavenging is dies. Like, how am I sort of grinding through a long game with just one threat if my opponent has a ton of removal? Yeah, I think, yeah, having the two helps just because this format... Like, Dredge still exists. Like, there are still graveyard decks you have to worry about. And having that as an answer and having a second copy so that when they... Because most of the time, if you're a deck that loses to graveyard hate, you have a way to answer graveyard hate. And having a second copy to be able to come back from is probably pretty important. All right, so... I do do wonder... uh, I have a question here. So, there's, there's the possibility to play and, and correct me if i'm wrong here but there's the possibility to play rite of passage in this deck am i wrong in thinking that rite of passage with everything you have going on means that both your hangerback walker or i'm sorry your walking ballista has the ability to go infinite if you have a copy of rite of passage on the battlefield and you remove a counter to deal one damage to himself it puts a counter on him and then an additional counter with the trigger and you just continue to do that and you go infinite so one green two colorless for enchantment whenever a creature you control is dealt damage put a plus one plus one counter on it does allow with either of your hardened scales or your rotting constrictor to make walking ballista an infinite combo machine, and that's kind of an interesting idea. No, I mean I instantly said ooh when you said that. I haven't seen rite of passage in years, and as soon as you said, it, I was like ooh that's a that's a pretty sue, and that's a really smart catch. I'm trying I mean, to back- think of matchups where you really have the time to be doing that kind of a thing, but it does sound really interesting to me. I mean, it's un- it's a shame that you can't search for it with with traverse, and that's so that's like definitely that's definitely a thing that would make it actually good. 
<laughs> and it, the fact that you can't get it, but it's the same problem that hardened scales has, which is that you can't search for it. You don't have any way to search for it. So yeah, uh, there's just, no way to tutor for enchantments, is there? Yeah, not that is not that is doable in the stack. Enlightened tutor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> idyllic not tutor. Legal, is it? Or no, no. Sorry, it's idyllic tutor. And it's yeah, idyllic tutor is too slow to be good in this deck. So yeah. that, but I mean, that is an interesting idea. I, I do always like to have the other axis to win from. And it's not like playing Wine and Constrictor or Hardened Scales is a reach in this deck. It's what the deck is doing. Walking Blist is one of the best cards in the deck anyway. I don't know that playing... I don't know that you'd play four of them in the sideboard, but if there was a matchup or something... I don't know. This deck doesn't have that much interaction, so I feel like you're, you're missing like the adequate hand disruption to try to you know, get there. and it just It seems clunky, but it does seem like a fun thing to be able to do anyway. It's also a thing that I feel like a number of those matchups that you would want right of passage for like in theory going bigger than somebody else this deck already just crushes people at going bigger like if your opponent is playing a knight of the reliquary strategy uh an abzan strategy where they're trying to go large rather than disrupt your stuff uh a bant eldrazi like this deck is just gonna be like yeah nice eldrazi creatures deal with this six seven <laughs> yeah and that, that's right. something that i really like about this deck all right next deck uh i'm gonna go with um Modern Cheerios, but this is Kadothu Cheerios. Dave and Carlo submitted it. It's a originally uh, Caleb Durwald was uh, kind of the first person to brew with the deck, and then he has some changes to to make to it. Um, for those who don't know, the way the deck works is it has four Memnite, four Bomat Courier, four Signal Pest, four Burning Tree Emissary, four Reckless Bushwhacker, which is the uh, um, Boros Bookwasher for two. Uh, Mox Opal, Galvanic Blast, Kadothu for Rebirth, uh, Brain in the Jar, Beck and Call, and Kari Zev's Expertise. Um, some of the key things is uh, Kadothu Rebirth, for those who don't know, is one red, sacrifice an artifact, and put three plus one plus one goblin creature tokens onto the battlefield. And then uh, it's playing the Brain of the Jar, Expertise, Beck and Call package to kind of have their other secondary go over the top effect. I mean, for those that haven't like heard a lot about the whole expertise play a fuse card thing, it's really fit. It's really really sweet. It's not very fair, and you'll if you see it happen, the more powerful one people are talking about is Karizev's expertise with breaking, entering, and getting Emrakul in play. That's like the that's like the crazy one. But this is like the these are still playing back and call. Like both of them are both pretty insane. Right, right. No, I mean back and call is really good. I'm just saying like that one like, and it doesn't. Because because it doesn't actually lose you the Emrakul and a turn like it would with Agorio's Vengeance. You just get Emrakul in play. So that's like the unfair, I'm just going to win the game now version. But this is still really, really good. The idea is that you get to play a card uh, for two mana or less from your hand without paying its mana cost. And that allows you to play both halves of Beck and Call for that cost. Uh, so you get to draw a card for each creature that comes into play this turn. And also put four one one creatures. So you get four one ones and draw four cards for half of your Kari Zev's Equities. Yeah, it seems pretty good. So that this is like a all over the place. I mean, Bomat Courier, sweet Memnite, Burning Tree Emissary, Bushwhacker, like the whole thing. It, it plays Brain in a Jar. Like I don't even know where to start. Corey, do you have any thoughts? So, to build onto the expertise point, when I saw the expertise cycle, casting free spells and magic, one of the most terrifying things you can print as a designer is you. It's very open ended. You have no idea what it's gonna do. The developer is always like, "Gosh, I hope we don't have to ban these cards. Hope it's not too powerful." I remember when I saw some of them and I was just joking like, oh man, I can't wait to cast my, you know, double black spell on my black white deck and then cast a free blue spell. And here I'm looking at a mono red deck playing a Bant card. It's like, 
yep, can't wait to free cast my Bant spell on my mono red deck. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on in this world? But this deck, it actually functions pretty efficiently thanks to Brain in the Jar and Carrie Zev's expertise where, again, you free cast, choose to ha- cast the two mana side of it, you announce that as the spell, and then you fuse it together because it's free. You get to pay the fuse cost for free because it functions as an additional cost. You then get to put it on the stack, you'll draw four cards, make four 1-1s, and then, you know, hopefully later you'll cut out the uh, rebirth, one of your artifacts, into three more cards, because you've got three goblins that are playing, you'll draw three more cards, and it's like, alright, man, it was hard enough to deal with the zoo draws that these decks could open up on, where they'd go burning tree, burning tree, meb knight, signal pest, reckless bushwhacker, attack you for like 14, and now they just have this added, hey, I'll just draw seven cards, and we'll probably kill you next turn. I mean, on, on turn on turn three or turn four, you can brain in the jar, beck and call, then Kadothu rebirth the brain in the jar, and that doesn't and and probably place a burning tree emissaries all for 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 funsies and and draw an an abnormal an obnoxious amount of cards. <laughs> I think yeah, we can yeah. all just. Pretty uh, I was just I was, I was just saying, I think we can all acknowledge, like, as just as magic players, over the years, the number of, I, I think threat and effects are just like, we all forget they exist 100% of the time. I can't tell you the number of games of magic where I've been playing, and I'm like, alright, this turn I'll do this, so the next turn I'm gonna do this, and then on the third turn I'll do this. And then they're like, it's like limited, and they're like, threaten, you lose. And I'm like, oh no, come on, I forgot about that. And it's like, happened to me a billion times, that I feel like the threaten half of Karsev's is like... Yeah, just take your Tarmogoyf and screw up your math, you're dead. I'm like, alright, well, you didn't even have to do the beck and call move, I'm just dead now, and that sucks. Well, that's the thing I like in this deck, unlike the sort of Goryeo's Vengeance Styles decks that are playing Karyzev's expertise, this deck actively uses the threatened mode. Like, this deck's plan is to kill you. Its backup plan is to draw seven cards and then kill you again. <laughs> like, if it draws seven cards, it feels really smart, it looks really cute. But first and foremost, this is a beatdown deck. Like, it is trying to combo together two to three creatures in the same turn, surge out a Reckless Bushwhacker, get about ten power going, maybe get some Battle Cry from a Signal Pest. Well, if it threatens your Tarmogoyf, I mean, that just adds five, six, seven more power to it, and it's like, oh, good God, what am, well, what's going on? Like, I don't want to be a part of that game. I just pick up my cards and go home. Right. Well, I mean, and, and the Beck part is... You know, it's fine and does obviously the powerful thing, but the call part is kind of the more important half, where it's like, oh, you have four, it's basically you cast lingering souls for two mana, which is like Correct. already very yeah, they're just doing doing crazy things. <laughs> I honestly look at this at this list and I I don't even know how like where to start suggesting. I'm trying to think like what I would suggest to change it or how I would add to it, and I. No, no, no mere superiors. You're uh, playing for Burning Tree Emissary. <laughs> I mean, that is a good idea. I am intrigued to wonder if this deck could just play... I mean, it, it has one Stomping Ground and currently in five basic mountains. I wonder if we could just play more Fetchlands, more Stomping Grounds, and also play the Naturalist, the one that adds Green Green Deer Pool. Right, and then definitely play Superior, because if you're going to do that, you know... Sure, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, yeah. you're joking, but I'm, I'm dead serious. I think that's actually just realistic. Like, you're no, just no, I mean, another you, giant monster. As soon as you go to the like the five through eight on any deck that's going to play emissary and the and the herbalist, like there's very little reason not to just play superior because then you do get actually seven power on turn two with like some consistency and that's just if you're going to play it you may as well just go for it. Can't, can't you put it into play with carries up? You can yes, you can cast so it for you have well. Actually, I don't know. I'd have to actually look up mirror superior's text again. 
I think you can. I, I think it's just you can't use mana to produce by lands to cast it. Yeah, because you, you're playing the spell without paying its mana cost. Yeah, and yeah. its mana cost is two. It's yeah. That you can't yes. cast it without. Oh, snap. That's have, the trick. Yeah, so you have 12 cards in your deck now that cast it for free. Yeah, I think that's a free. And that's what we had with that's what we had with Superior Burning Coco was twelve, and then it, it worked. It was never like a problem. So I would I would attest twelve ways is enough. Once again, I have no idea what to cut for that combo, but I think it's definitely a thing you can accomplish. When I build decks like this, I'm always put the interaction in later. So I'm down to just cut the Galvanic Blast and see what silly things we can do. I was just gonna say the Gal Blast and the Bomat Couriers are the cards that jump out as me as the, as cuttable. Yeah, the Bomat Courier you need to add artifact lands. Yeah, Bowmat Courier also is just like so so far as an underplayed card. Now it is a, a, a like a high risk, but in this deck, I don't really. You're not like you're not exiling cards that you need some number of or something like that to flip or search for. Like it's just a sweet card. So I think Bowmat Courier deserves more play in modern in general. That card's great. I think you could also go down. Like I, I think you could you know cut the Galvanic Blast, cut two of the Bowmat Courier, you know, like and kind of mix with the math a little bit more. You don't have to be four of of everything, but yeah, I think I think there's the there's some superior burning tree emissary shenanigans that are available to this deck. Um, shall we move on to our third and final submission? Yes. Uh, and next, this is from Luke Kellett. It is the fairies. It is a fairies deck. Blue black fairies. Doing real fair things. <laughs> uh, Three Stabcaster Mage, three Spellstutter Sprite, two Vendillion Click, two Mistbind Click, one Tassiger, two Spell Snare, three Inquisition of Kozilek, three Thoughtseize, four Fatal Push, one Victim of Night, two Collective Brutality, two Cash Wall, four Bitter Blossom, three Cryptic Command, one Murderous Cut, and then some good lands. Uh, Corey, this seems like a deck right up your alley. Yeah, you guys can't see me right now, but there's a huge grin on my face. <laughs> like, I just looked up in my mirror and I was just like, oh yeah, my dimples are out. This deck makes me really happy. Um, so one of the things that I said when, uh, Fatal Push got spoiled, I was just like, well, you know, black, white tokens might be a thing. And then I instantly thought again, I was like, holy crap, I could build fairies. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't work on fairies at all for Vancouver. I'll be honest, but this deck looks, it needs some work. I mean, fair, you know, tempo style decks, you have to get them exactly right for them to be great. Otherwise they're usually just kind of bumbling around and not fast enough to beat down the combo decks and not slow enough to sort of tempo out the control decks. But, I mean, this deck has a lot of great things going for it. You still have the spell center sprites, misbind clicks, Vendillion clicks of the world. you got a high amount of disruption. Uh, I mean, you still have Bitter Blossom, Cryptic Command, like, four Creeping Tar Pit. God, uh, creeping Tar Pit and I could hang out for days and everything would be great. I, there are a lot of good things going on in this list. I think currently there's a little bit too much removal in it, but I think that we were moreover trying to cover all of our bases with sort of a good Snapcaster package, and I think that's a perfectly reasonable start. Yeah, I think I think you definitely could go down on one Thoughtseize, I don't, or one Inquisition, depending on what you think the metagame is going to look like. I don't think you need a full six. Um, your deck does a lot to stop everything else. And I, yeah. I kind of... Yeah. Sorry, God. Oh, you go. It's also a thing when you have decks with both discard and counter spells, I'm much more willing to sideboard in extra copies of these kind of things. There's a spell snare ceremonies rejection we're looking at in the sideboard here, but then there's no additional uh, counter spells. I think that you can, you know, toss like dispels and spell pierces in the board or, 
you know, go up to four Inquisitions and only play one or two Thoughtseize in the main deck, and then put additional Thoughtseizes in the board. As you'll know the matchups when you need Thoughtseize. Like, you're not going to bring in Thoughtseize against, you know, Death Shadow as you're like, or maybe not Death Shadow, let's say, you know, Burn. Thoughtseize is a pretty hideous card to draw against a Burn deck. Like, you're trading one mana to maybe gain one or two life. But, you know, if I want a card like Dispel or Spell Pierce, hey, I'm definitely bringing it against my Burn opponent. Same idea with that Collective Brutality that's sitting over there. Like, these decks are highly, highly customizable. It's just a matter of getting all of the numbers right. Yeah, a couple cards that jump out at me that are possibilities that aren't being played right now. Um, one is a sideboard card, and that is uh, Fairy Macabre. Uh, yep. That's the legacy staple. Um, that, to me, is pretty like standard for the sideboard here. It's just it's just too easy. Uh, for those that don't remember, it's black, black, one for a 2-2 flying fairy, but it has the ability to remove it from your hand, to exile it from your hand, to exile two um, cards from an opponent's graveyard, I think it is. So it's, it's like your dredge protection for free, um, which is obviously good, and it's a fairy. The other thing, when you're talking about um, counterspells, and I have this in a brew that I've been working on, but this deck relies heavily on ETB effects, and the card Familiar's Ruse back in Standard was like a, always a fringe, like maybe I'll play one of. In this deck, because your spell slutter sprites are so good, that seems like a pretty easy one of. I mean, maybe it's just in the sideboard, but for those that don't remember, it's... Blue, blue, counter-target spell as an additional cost to play it. You have to return a creature to your hand. But getting a spell slutter sprite or a snapcaster mage or a V-click back to your hand, in fact, every creature in the deck other than Tassiger has a strong ETB effect that would be benefited to just replay again. So it seems like a fine add. That's pretty smart, actually. I've, I've played with Deprive before in Modern, and I actually liked Deprive a fair amount in some decks. And, and this deck, like you were saying, the Ruse would actually just be really great. I mean, I had already want to go up a spell starter sprite here. As we have four bitter blossom, uh, you can realistically get to two three fairies pretty reliably. That just having extra creatures that you really want to pick up and you know sort of get those chains looping for extra ETB effects, like you said. Yeah, I'd be all for something like that. Yeah, I think like I would want to go up like you know raise kind of the number of creatures. Maybe add a uh, Una's or Cyan of Sorry, today. Scion of Una, um, which is the Fairy Lord, just because it kind of does a little bit of a mini um, Gavity Township impression. And I don't think you want more than maybe one, but just having kind of these options and to raise your ability, just kill your opponent quicker, seems like something this deck probably needs. Yeah, currently the clock in this deck is a tad slow. You're still a little short on fairies for that to do, you know, really big work. Maybe That's I'm right. underestimating like, how good the Bitter Blossom actually is in this deck, but... Yeah, like, it's more just with... If you raise Spell Splitter up to four, if you get that into here, and you... With the Bitter Blossom, I think you have enough. And maybe if you add the card you guys are just talking about, you probably have enough where it just is going to do a little bit more than it's doing. I don't think you want more than one. I don't think this is a deck that wants all the four Scion of Una's package, but I think there's a reason to maybe try pumping those tokens to kind of get in there. The Scion herself is two in a blue to cast, and she's a 2-2? Two -two? Uh, correct. Okay. Or she's a 1-1. One, 1-1 one. One, one all fairies? Has, yeah, all fairies okay. get uh, plus 1, plus 1 in Shroud. Or no, other fairies get plus 1, plus 1 in Shroud. Flash flying. 1-1 one, one for 3. Okay. No, yeah, I could definitely get behind that. The Shroud part really puts it over the edge for me, where you could, you know, counter an Abrupt Decay and your Better Blossom or what have you also is really nice. Right. That, that's The, the fact that it, it is a instant speed Shroud giver gives a lot of value to it. Protect those mutavolts. 
Yeah, exactly. It was. I mean, that was like part of the standard, the standard package back in the day. Um, yeah. Aside from that, I, I mean, you look at this list. Collector Brutality is the other like standout, interesting card, which we're seeing more and more of in modern now. Um, that's like not even many in the beginning when Jun and, and Abzan were playing one or two copies of that card. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And now I feel like Collective Brutality shows up as a two of and like half the cool new decks I see. Yeah, I honestly believe it's a little out of place in the main deck here as we don't have the most ways to fiddle with the graveyard. There's two delve spells here. Uh, the minus two, minus two effect wall, you know, useful is not over the top and you already have enough discard that I don't think that you need it, but I could be wrong on that. I, I would certainly want a lot of copies of it in the board though. This deck's burn matchup is going to be, you know, quite poor, but I do love having, you know, the extra pieces of removal, extra pieces of disruption against things like Titan Shift to take out their far seeks and things of that nature. Uh, killing off affinity creatures. I mean, the cards it's a nuclear nightmare for in fact. If you ever cast a, a brutality against them, they just slump in their chair you know, oh, this this sucks. I can't believe this is happening to me. Um, right. But yeah, yeah, Brutality is another one of those very nice cards that comes out in the last, you know, year at this point. Yeah, so I, I guess the, the main advice it sounds like we have for Luke uh, is A, um, go through and kind of trim your removal suite and then kind of bolster the creature threat suite and then and see where you get to. Yeah, another one of the cards that Somehow, I'm more skeptical of his Counter Squall, as this deck, I think, is going to struggle to be on the board earlier than most of its opponents to leverage such a negate effect. But maybe you are going to end up playing this deck out more like just a control flash deck, at which point, I'm totally wrong, this Counter Squall is great. Yeah, I think um, I think my general understanding of how fairy decks kind of function is you just don't... It's, it's draw-go, and then you just... On the end of their turn, you're playing threats because everything you have is flash. And then the only exception to that, I assume, is Better Blossom. Yeah, but then Bitter Blossom on turn two is going to win you the game, and then later you need it less anyways. I could see this deck even splashing white for Lingering Souls if you wanted more tokens, but I don't know if you want any of like the white uh, token pumping things like Sorin or Gideon in your in your list at all. I think if you did that, you'd have to get away from either Mistbind Click or Cryptic, and mm -hmm. I just don't think that's what Luke's going for at all here. Yeah, that, 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 because those are sorcery threats, like, the main strength of fairies is classically, oh, I don't do anything until I have to. And all of those Planeswalkers effects and the Lingering Souls specifically kind of force you into more of a tokeny show, which is doing something different. But then I think you just need to go full on the token side and ditch the fairy side. Right, it's just a constant adaptation to whatever your opponent's doing. Like, because you get to act last, you're like, okay, I have all the information for the turn. What am I going to do to counteract what you're doing? Moreover than not, you're, you're a disruptive deck that has, uh, you know, some sort of aggressive elements thanks to Click, well, I guess both Clicks, Vendillion and Mistbind, and then Spellstrider Sprite, added with a high density of man lands, allowing you to turn a corner very, very quickly when you need to. All right, guys, uh, I'm going to give the, the speed run version of the little brew that I've been working on here, just because it is related to what we're talking about, and then we're going to let Corey go. Um, I've been working on this like modern rogues idea now ever since they printed Metallic Mimic. Uh, the card Una's Blackguard from back in Morningtide, which many don't remember, which is one black and a colorless for a 1-1 one -one flying fairy rogue. It states each other rogue you control comes into play with an additional plus one plus one counter on it, and whenever a creature you control with a counter on it, the plus one plus one counter on it deals combat damage to a player, that player discards a card. So you get the Metallic Mimic effect of coming in as another rogue that also puts a plus one plus one counter on every other rogue that enters the battlefield. Um, 
what I ended up doing was building a version that used um, Ethervile and Fairy Miscreant and like obviously Snapcaster isn't as a two of because it's good. And then it's playing Disrupting Shoal on a copy of Familiar's Ruse. Hand Disruption, two copies of Fairy Imposter, which is one blue for a 2-1 Flying Fairy Rogue that when it enters the battlefield, sack it unless you return another creature you control its owner's hand. So you can see where like the shenanigan starts going with like a vial and all of your enter the battlefield triggers because that thing then comes down as a 3-2 flyer returning your lord and saving it so you can replay it. Um, there's some loose cards in here because it's like just kind of a, a weird idea, but I, I decided to play four copies of Fairy Miscreant, which is the 1-1 flying fairy rogue for one that when it enters the battlefield, if you control another creature of the same name, draw a card. I figured all of the like bouncing creatures back to your hand, vile counters things, made it pretty decent as like a two-two flyer for one that drew you a card. And then beyond that, I had random cards. The most interesting of which was two copies of Disciple of Deceit, which is a uh, one-three inspired for a blue and a black human rogue. That when it becomes untapped, you may discard a non-land card if you do search your library for a card with the same converted mana cost and put it into your hand. So because it's a rogue with the lords, it comes down as a 2-4 for 2 that then has this ability to start turning, say, like your late game Vapor Snag into like a Fatal Push or your late game Vile into an Inquisition or whatever you need. Um, and 2-4s historically are pretty good in modern. So the fact that you also have the whole like discard angle with um, the Black Guard and just a couple copies of Riptide Pilfer in here. So that's kind of where I was going. Lutoril Core is a rogue as well. Do you have any of the ninjutsu cards in your deck? And are they ninjas or are they rogues? I think they're just ninjas because I've looked at every single card with creature type rogue like 9,000 times. Uh, and that card is way too delightful to not at least like mess around with. I was really hoping Ink Eyes was yeah. a good thing for this deck. I remember, I've played a lot of Popper and I remember the ninjutsu creatures at common in both blue and black were just cards that i hated losing to but they were so much fun to play with that i understood exactly why everyone played them all the time and i was like man this deck's really fun yeah for sure for sure I, the, the the other thing i forgot to mention is this plays four copies of vapor snack so it plays the two copies of riptide pilferer which is the one one merfolk rogue for two for a blue and a colorless that when it deals combat damage to a player that player discards a card so him plus the black guard right all this whole entire like package mixed with snag because if you're hitting them and they're discarding a card, your snag stops being card disadvantage, right? If you're bouncing a creature back to their hand so your guy can connect, it ends up just being a one-for-one one if it means that you're actually connecting and getting a card out of their hand. Um, so that is what this deck is doing. It lacks, like, top-end power, and it plays too many one- and two-drops, not in the good way. Um, Did you add a Tassiger? You could play Tassiger, yeah, just as, like, a finisher. Just, like, yeah, why not? one over two of, just to make sure you get there. Yeah, the other angle that, like, this one's not doing, but, like, I messed around with a lot, was both Invisible Stalker and Silhana Ledgewalker are rogues. So you can play, like, this weird sort of, like, I'm just going to put Noble Hierarch in the deck and play those guys and play, a couple like, a couple swords. Just get rid of, like, the whole entire, like, discard cards angle, but keep the Disciple of Deceit in there because it means you can, like, discard various things to search for the right sword. And then all of a sudden, that's like a lot more interesting because you can search for the correct sword and you have like all these rogues and they're getting bigger because of your lords and things like that. And that's maybe more interesting or maybe that's a sideboard plan. But I think it's just a different deck. Like, I think you pretty clearly have a, a sweet strategy going on here. 
And it sounds like that's just another strategy. And I think that's one of the things that happens to me a lot in deck building is I try to overlap like, okay, I have this sweet combo. I've got this other sweet combo and I've got this other sweet combo. And then what ends up happening is once I layer like three, four, you know, different strategies on top of each other, none of them function because I didn't have any support features for any of them. And then you run the risk of, well, now I've given up on my sweet idea and I'm not someone that likes to give up on things. So I'll be stubborn and just keep trying them. So what I have to do slowly now is find the one idea I really want to work on, focus on that as hard as I can, and then move on to the next idea, but keep those ideas separate. You can start blending those ideas if you think that there are enough synergy overlaps, but the important thing is finding the bridge cards. So right now you have this plus one, plus one counter rogue theme. Find the cards that bridge plus one, plus one counters and rogues. If you can also find something that can bridge together this unblockability theme, you need to find some way to make sure those unblockable creatures are also getting these plus one, plus one counters so that their rogueness actually matters. Because right now you're trying to add this third strategy on to plus one, plus one counter rogues, and you're going to run that risk of, well, now I'm three colors, I'm losing out on plus one, plus one counters. Right, uh, the curve's like not as good. Put, exactly, like you could start adding like Dromoka's command, but now it's a fourth color, and it's just... Just be careful of doing that. That is a risk that I run into a lot in deck building, and probably a lot of the time why... I post up deck lists in our little team forum. We're working on things for the Pro Tour, and they just they just look like nightmares. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. I de- that the whole your description of like the two ideas thing. I, I definitely am uh, fall victim to that. So anyway, that's my uh, funky idea. If anybody wants to come at me with ideas or suggestions, you can find me at Ben Baby Media on Twitter. Um, Corey, we have taken plenty of your time this morning, and uh, we appreciate you coming on the show again, man. Yeah, I'm sorry enough to take off here. I need to actually get to work. Work probably is wondering where the heck I'm at. But thank you Zero, so much for having me. These these are by far my favorite episodes to listen to and you guys put them up. So uh, hopefully people enjoy this one and hopefully we can do it again. Yeah, definitely. Dude. Thank you so much for coming. And you can find Corey on Twitter at Corey underscore Burkhart. If you want to ask him any questions about those ideas, Kess, the people can find you at Kess Wiley. Yep. Uh, I am at Kess Wiley. We are at the MMCast Patreon. Make sure to check out Collected Company, uh, collected.company and check out the Command Zone and our own podcast. That's where we're located. You can find us on YouTube as well. We have YouTube videos. Mike Clary does those for us because of the Patreon, which you guys submit to, and that's what we did these decks from. So thank you so much. Um, Go find the Patreon, and aside from that, have an awesome, awesome day, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Cheers, everyone. See you, bud. All right, boys, what do I need to do to get this over to you? Thank you for your attention. See you later. Alligator.